Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. I think we can all agree this year, and especially this week, has been bleak. We're at the start of the third wave of a, of a pandemic, a week away from the election, and the Supreme Court is now everything Margaret Atwood tried to warn us about. To make things worse for me personally, not like anyone cares, but I'm going to share anyway. I've been stone cold sober for over a week because I'm a genius who thought that now is a great time to have dental surgery because it couldn't possibly get any worse. And then the dentist said, here are some antibiotics. So in times like these, it has become increasingly clear that the only thing I can depend on to bring me any sort of sliver of joy is Netflix. And today, we're not going to talk about that not as bad as you'd think remake of Rebecca and the many mustard suits of Army Hammer. No, we're going to talk about classic 90s black sitcoms. There's just a specific kind of sitcom nostalgia salve about these particular shows. I think that we can both agree that we really enjoyed taking a break from reality by watching these formulaic sitcoms that it doesn't really matter what happens throughout the episode because we know in 28 minutes it'll all get resolved and everyone gets a hug. And before the show even starts, we have an intro theme song that tells us everything that we need to know about the show that we're about to watch. And there's just something familiar and comfortable, like a weighted blanket. It just, you just feel calm. My nervous system feels calmed by it. Just like whenever I hear the nanny theme song, I'm like, ah, yes, just, I could just like be, it's like rocking me to sleep almost. I mean, there's just something really nice about having a show where I can just enjoy um, and laugh and not have to worry about things. And like, if I miss a little something, it's not the end of the world, like prestige TV, where it's like blink it and you'll miss this important Easter egg, which will lead you to a connection to the next season. Here, it's it's quick. It's easy. It's I mean, done in 28 minutes. That's a great minutes. point. There's no like Reddit conspiracy thread about a storyline from Sister Sister. You know what I mean? There's no reality to ruin it with. Let's and hope I not. just feel so comforted by that. No. <laughs> 
But I feel like it's also just so pure. Like the problems of the show, you're like, oh, I mean, the ones that especially deal with teens, it's like, oh, I remember having those issues and I don't miss it. But boy, is this is this going to be easy for you to fix? Don't you worry. No need to be crying whatsoever. I mean, and I was just I saying, also I was just saying earlier oh, that I, like the rewatchability of it all is just really nice. Whereas some of these other 90s shows are like a sight for sort like cannot watch them whatsoever ever again. Overexposed and over discussed, which is, you know, perfect because I feel like the shows that we're going to talk about today are, you know, they've been meaning to get these to the people on a larger scale because if one more TikTok teen talks about Rachel Green, I will fucking lose my mind. So the classics that we will be covering today are Girlfriends, Sister Sister, Moesha, and The Parkers. Two of those are spinoffs. And in the pantheon of everything that Netflix has very recently released. Uh, I think they started releasing, they started with like Sister Sister, I believe, like mid-September. And then the Parkers came to Netflix, I believe, in October. Yeah. And so they've been trickling Mo- out these classic like sitcoms. Late June, early July. Yeah, it was kind of just perfect. The necessary, like, sweet that that I needed in my life at that point. And obviously, people were waiting for the moment these shows started to get back onto a streaming service because, I mean, obviously, we don't know or understand very well what Netflix's ratings technology is. Um, But if you, whenever I get on Netflix, all of the trending shows it's consistently girlfriend, sister, sister, Moesha and the Parkers are all mixed in there somewhere. So clearly people were ready to watch these. And I wonder, similar to how we were talking about, um, like the Hills had issues getting onto streaming because they had to clear all that music and same with Felicity and a couple of other shows, The O.C., where they were really known for their soundtrack and if they had difficulty clearing some of these for streaming to get them ready, if that like played a part in it at all. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think there's definitely some soundtrack component to it. I also wonder if like the CW of it all and like some of these shows, at least the ones that I covered were both UPN shows that then got swallowed into mm-hmm. CW. And I wonder if that mm-hmm. had something to do with it and why it wasn't available to stream for so long. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about it when you get to Girlfriends, but I know that Tracy Ellis Ross was asked that question before it came to Netflix for the longest time, like, where is Girlfriends, where is Girlfriends? And I think it did have something to do with a rights issue, like what studio had the right to release it to streaming. Yes. And because streaming's so new, when before these shows obviously even were aired, they don't have anything in place that says like, oh yeah, it'll, it, the WB will get the rights to the streaming or they'll make the money on the back end or whatever. They have no idea. So I'm and sure it takes a long time to get sorted we've talked about this before with some of these shows where it's like your show is aired on one network but the studios producing it are another so it's like your show is on abc but cbs studios is what's producing it and that just like complicates everything yeah i mean isn't that i always think about like the mindy kaling project i think it was nbc produced it but it aired on fox and i think something similar happened to community as well there were all these shows that were produced by outside studios yeah yep And even like Breaking Bad is technically produced by Sony and not, you know, has not AMC just distributes it. I don't pretend to know these things other than I can read credits and listen to insider podcasts. That's that is the extent of my skill. So let's get into it, shall we? We're going to start things off with Sister Sister. Between It Takes Two and Sister Sister, like all of my anxiety wrapped up with one day having to encounter a Bermuda Triangle, I was primed and ready to bump into my long-lost twin at the mall during a sale for much of my life. If my twin is anything like me, that bitch definitely loves a sale. 
I don't know about you, but I, I truly at every until I was maybe like 12 or something, I definitely thought that there was a 0.7% chance that I oh. could bump into maybe and it takes to like you said, identical strangers, but definitely like yeah, there's got to be. And I was I was always kind of like almost ready for it. Like any day now, I'm just going to bump into somebody who looks just like me and we're going to become best friends. And then I can finally achieve my dream of being in two places at once. Oh, I mean, I felt the same way. Like I, like I said to you earlier, if not like for a shitty divorce la- lawyer with like a weird custody agreement or some an adoption agency that split up some twins, like I had – like or just like some coincidence that Steve Gutenberg fathered a child who looks identical to an orphan that Kirstie Alley takes care of in an orphanage in New York. Like I, I mean, okay. there was I mean, I don't want all sorts of possibilities. I don't want to start a um. I don't want to start like a lake house type rift between us. Uh, the movie The Lake House and the sp- anyway, there's a whole drama in a friend group about that movie. Won't get into it. But I just want to say I didn't realize that Steve Gutenberg is supposed to be Ashley and or Mary Kate's biological father because I thought it was another sister si- sister situation where they were separated at birth and only one of them got adopted and then the other one was an orphan. That that was my operating theory for the till now. I think. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's but it's like, you know, in most cases with the Mary Kate and Ashley movies, like great movies when from a nostalgia standpoint, but when you really think through the plot line, there's no explanation actually given as to how this ended up happening. Um, but yeah, that's 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 the case and it takes two. Sister Sister premiered April 1st in 1994 on ABC as part of their TGIF lineup. Starring identical twins, Tia and Tamara Mowry, they played Tia Landry and Tamara Campbell, twins separated at birth who accidentally reunite 14 years later. It ran six seasons spanning 119 episodes, although not all of them were on ABC. After Sister Sister moved to a later time slot for the 94-95 season in the fall, ABC announced that it was going to be canceled due to low ratings, and its final episode aired on the network April 28, 1995. The WB, still in its infancy in 95, picked up Sister Sister to replace the canceled show Muscle, a soap opera parody about a gym. Yes, I looked it up. It had Adam West in the pilot. He dies. It sounds insane. There are, like, former wrestlers in it. It's very I don't even just look up muscle, the TV early, show. Early I, WB, man. Like I, I, they had money and they didn't know what to do with it. And it just, it got weird. It got weird. It feels very like, fuck it. We'll try that. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Oof. Chaotic energy. Um, <laughs> just honestly read the synopsis on Wikipedia. The definition of chaotic energy. You're like, who greenlit this? Who was on, someone was on drugs or, I don't even know, was very drunk when they were pitched the show and misremembered what it was really about. (laughs) Okay. So it replaced Muscle on Wednesday night. Its third season debuted September 6, 1995, and it did very well. The WB aired the following four seasons with the final episode airing May 23rd, 1999. So some writer creators... Writers and creators of note, the series was created by Kim Bass, a former In Living Color Keenan and Kel writer, Gary Gilbert, and Fred Schafferman, who wrote for Punky Brewster for most of its run, which I feel like makes a lot of sense in terms of what we were talking about earlier, how it's pretty formulaic, like it feels very familiar. And when you work or when you start your career and work for most of your life on an iconic show like Punky Brewster, it kind of makes sense that you kind of carry over some of those 80s tropes and it kind of explains some of like the early sister sister how it does kind of feel a little bit like an 80s sitcom 
Yes. But in a good way. I don't mean that as a as a diss. Other notable writers, Larry Wilmore wrote on the show for 26 episodes, making him one of the more seasoned and credited writers, second only to Regina Y. Hicks, who wrote on Girlfriends later, but wrote 32 episodes of Sister, Sister. Who, so she's the writer with the most credits outside of the original team. So Tia and Tamara are identical twins separated at birth, and one was adopted by a single mother while the other was adopted by a couple, although the mother died after leaving her with her father only. Tia Landry is the intelligent twin from inner city Detroit, where her adoptive mother, Lisa Landry, works as a seamstress. Tamara Campbell is the boy crazy twin from the suburbs, where her father, Ray, Tim Reed, owns a successful limousine business. In the pilot, the twins are reunited during a chance encounter shopping at a clothing store in the mall with their adoptive parents. After this unexpected reunion, Lisa is forced to take a job in St. Louis, separating the twins again, until Ray reluctantly allows Tia and Lisa to move in. The girl's neighbor... Roger Evans, Marquise Houston, a borderline stalker who is infatuated with the both of them, eventually evolves into the perfect gentleman they find both attractive in later seri- in later seasons of the series, but conservatively for four and a half seasons, they had grounds for a restraining order. By the final season, they go off to college, and he rarely appears with the exception of the finale. We'll get into that when I talk about Roger slash Marquise Houston a little bit later. So for five seasons of the series, we often had T and Tamara either together or separately breaking the fourth wall. This was sort of like their shtick, especially during their ABC run. T and Tamara would address the studio audience and get them involved, which I was like, oh, wow, audience involvement. Like, I don't even it's such a thing of a bygone. (laughs) Right. And I mean, remember when Whitney Cummings tried to have a studio audience for her for a show and people roasted her with an inch of her life they're like i mean myself included i was like just have a just do a multi-cam show why would you do a single cam show it makes no sense but hearing them get like oohs and ahs from the audience was just like kind of jar it was jarring at first but then you know it kind of blends in with the whole scenery of it all so they address the audience members with some of their storylines and then occasionally other characters do the same thing. Usually Roger breaks the fourth wall, but once they move to the WB, the fourth wall breaking becomes limited to certain episodes and usually only in the teaser and would feature would be featured increasingly less often by season four. The sixth and final season was the only season that did not include it, opting instead to feature bloopers over the end credits, which I think is very sweet. A couple of takeaways from rewatching the first season episodes one through Five, maybe six. I don't know. I just kept pressing play. I'm not sure. Netflix did have to ask me if I was still watching. So, oh my God, Brittany Murphy sighting in the second episode, which I was oh, very yeah. surprised and happy to see. She plays their friend, Sarah. She has like a troubled boyfriend who comes and crashes a slumber party. And Tim and Lisa are way too understanding, <laughs> way more understanding than I think my mom would have been. Jack A. Harris is supposed to be 33, which is the same age. Well, I'm about to be 33, but we're supposed to be the same age, which like, ma'am, I don't know. It blew my mind. I guess maybe it's just whenever I hear anybody who has kids, it's my same age. I'm like, whoa, thank you. You're so mature. And I'm just wearing sweatpants. How do you do it? But I still just found it to be insane. Just like when we were watching Swim, I was I rewatched Swim Fan recently. And there's absolutely no way that Jesse Bradford is 18 years old in that movie. He no. is at least 27. You know, yes. I mean, it's just that whole movie reinforces the notion of like, oh, people in their late 20s pretending to be high school students are like, none of these people are in high school. What are we talking about? They're barely I even mean, in college. Stacy Dash and Clueless was almost 30, I think, and like a mother of a six-year-old at the when she's playing Dion. Okay, but the difference with that is that I actually bought her being oh, a high school she student. Looks, I mean, I yeah. was like... 
seven or eight or whatever. But I still, I mean, up until I think I was like 16 or 17, somebody told me how old she was. I was like, wait, what? I had no idea. Another takeaway is obviously the iconic theme song opening credits. I really, really miss when shows would just open with a bunch of exposition set to a very catchy song a la Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Step by Step. I also love the animation in it. Like they're in like a little car and they drive around and yeah. it's it's sort of like Michelle Gondry yes. <laughs> in a way. So we're going to get a little bit into the actors and their characters because, I mean, there's not really much else behind the scenes to report. So Tia Mowry plays Tia Andrea Landry, born November 28th, 1979, which they say at each other when they first meet, when they're reunited at, I forget, I always oh, should have written down what the store was called because it was just like generic fashion store name. Like cool trends or something like that. Yeah, I want to, I keep wanting to call it fast fashion, but I don't think that's it. But I don't think I'm far off either. That's the thing. <laughs> So Tia is the honest, responsible, mature, straight-A student who graduates at the top of her class in high school. Tia aspired to go to Harvard, but had to settle for University of Michigan. In season five, Tia gets a steady boyfriend, a raised mechanic named Tyreek Scott, who later becomes a police escort at University of Michigan. They break up briefly in the sixth season, but then reunite. Tamara Mowry plays Tamara Ann Campbell, also born, you guessed it, November 28, 1979, and the twi- and as the twin prophecy predicted, Tamara is Tia's total opposite personality-wise. She is highly impulsive, less intellectual. I put that in quotes. It's a big topic of conversation as early as episode two, where they do a twin situation to help Tamara pass a test. And then it reveals this whole connection between Tia and Ray, and she gets jealous. She's also a big fan of Coolio, as evidenced in season three episode, Paper or Plastic, where she threatens to quit her job as a scab worker at Food Boy when the store manager won't let her take the night off to go to a Coolio concert. And also in season four, when they go to play trivia somewhere and she can only answer the Coolio questions with ease. Just like Tia, though, in the fifth season, Tamara also gets a boyfriend finally. She meets Jordan Bennett, editor of her school's newspaper, and their relationship continues into the sixth season. Tamara is the more outspoken twin who has an affinity for hush puppy shoes. <laughs> in real life, the Maori sisters were born in West Germany, July 6th of 1978, two minutes apart, Tamara being the older one. They grew up as army bats, blah, they, not bats, even though it is Halloween. They grew up as army brats, but eventually settled in Glendale after their father retired. They described their family as close-knit and very spiritual. They became born-again Christians when they were eight, which I did not know that. But I guess I forget which one was on the talk for a while. I think it was Tia, but I believe that she talks about or talked about her faith on the show a little bit. They got their start on the pageant circuit while they were stationed in Fort Hood. But once they moved to California at age 12, they started to appear in commercials, which led to them being discovered by a Full House producer when they went to their brother's show, um, Full House, where he was a series regular, and Sister Sister was created for them. After the show ended, they both studied psychology at Pepperdine. Any, uh, I mean, so I recently was um, granted very generously a password to Disney Plus, and I've been making my way through some Halloween, Disney Halloween content, which we talked about last year on our Witches episode, but I watched Twitches and Halloween Town. And because Sister Sister has had such like a huge resurgence recently, um, Tia and or Tamara, I forget which one, or maybe it's both, had some interview where they talked about they would want to do a a third movie because there is a Twitches too. So they want to do a third Twitches where it's them and then Chloe and Haley. 
of Chloe and Haley singing Beyonce fame. And they wanted to do a third one that way, which sounds like a really incredible idea. But I forgot how just how prominent Tia and Tamara were through a lot of childhood pop culture, especially when you get on Disney and you see like the Twitches and they had something else on there too that escapes me now. But between that and Sister Sister. They had a Disney Channel original movie. They did. They had a Disney Channel original movie and I'm blanking on the name, but they like one of them essentially plays. It's just it's supposed to be one of them is like present day a girl who can't relate to her grandmother and oh uh, right 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 and and her grandmother. Yes. And young grandmother yeah. is played by the other twin. Yep. Yeah. And then yes, Taj, I remember that. Tia and Tamara's brother Taj Mari, because he was on Full House later, had a show on the WB called Smart Guy, which lasted, I think, like three-ish seasons. And like Essence Atkins was on it. And um, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s brother Omar Gooding was on it. And so was yeah. Jason Weaver, I think. I think I got most of the cast there. Yeah, they there. I mean, I took it out, but there was a note in here at some point that said that they had appeared on Smart Guy a couple of times while they were on Sister Sister as well. So we have Jack A. Harry, who plays Lisa Landry Sims, Tia's adopted mother and fashion designer. Her personality throughout the show is way more aligned with Tamara. She's the comic relief, usually at Ray's expense. Remember Little Ray, the cat that she tormented him with? That was a really good episode. She also goes through relatable bouts of depression that are represented in her eating too much, which fucking same. There's also a running joke that she has a hearty appetite even when she's not depressed. Again, same. Until season three, Lisa ran her fashion design business, Fashion by Lisa, which is a great name, out of Ray's house. In the third season episode, History All I Cart. So she moves her business to a cart in a local mall and then it burns down thanks to a faulty popcorn machine, which sends her running right back her business to Ray's house. Unlike Ray, she isn't strict with the girls, though she has her moments, but she is mainly the, quote, good cop to Ray's, quote, bad cop. Lisa gets her happy ending when she marries Victor Sims in the finale. In real life, in 1985, Jack A began a co-starring role as Sandra Clark in NBC's 227. There's a connection During, later. <laughs> oh, there's so much 227 connection throughout this. I mean, it, it all starts at 227. During the series run, she had a private feud with the series lead, Marla Gibbs. They've since reconciled and collaborated on a number of projects. But Jack A's popularity and performance on 227 inspired NBC producers, like it often does, cr- to create a pilot entitled Jack A. Although the pilot was not was a success with audiences, the series did not last, and the pilot is now shown as an episode of 227. After 227, in 1989, she starred opposite Oprah Winfrey in The Women of Brewster Place. In 1990, she headlined an NBC comedy pilot, We'll Take Manhattan, which aired as a summer special but did not make it to series. In 1991, she joined the cast of The Royal Family after Red Fox unexpectedly died. She starred opposite of 227 guest star Della Reese, Touched by an Angel Baby, but the series faltered in the ratings and was not renewed for a second season. In 1992, she was the assistant coach in Ladybugs, and by 1994 until 1999, she played Lisa Landry. Sims. Tim Reed plays Raymond Earl Ray Campbell, Tamara's adopted widowed father. He runs a successful limousine business and becomes Tia's father figure and is the strict one of the girls. His whole running joke is that he has Freudian slips around hot women and he says things like breast when he means to say rest or Sharda naked instead of Chardonnay. He dates Lisa in the fourth season briefly but they and they share an accidental kiss in season one, but mostly they just co-parent. 
If Lisa is the personality match to Tamara, then you guessed it, Ray is the personality match to Tia, being more brainy, dorky, cautious. In high school, he was a cheerleader named Ra Ra Ray by his classmates, which delights Lisa, as you probably can imagine. <laughs> Ray is a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity and, should not shock you, a part of the Republican Party. Ray is a conservative and sometimes very cheap, which, by the way, I fucking love this 90s trope where all dads are cheap. It's like a reoccurring theme I've noticed They're in my either- comfort binge watches. Sh- so true. Clean, obsessed, or cheap. Like, it's amazing. Were, were those the only two personalities available to men in the 90s? It appears so. <laughs> you would you would be led to believe nothing else. In real life, Tim Reed got his start on the CBS show WKRP in Cincinnati as DJ Venus Flytrap and on the Richard Pryor show, which explains his amazing comedic chemistry with Jack K. Obviously, Love the twins on Sister Sister, and they are obviously the stars, but Tim and Jack A really were the comic relief. The parents were oftentimes the best part for me. After Richard Pryor and WKRP, Reed veered into drama a little bit with a detective show called Simon and Simon, also for CBS, and played the the adult Mike Hanlon in It. So Marquise Houston, he plays Roger Evans, Tia and Tamara's, to put it nicely, overbearing neighbor friend. He constantly inundates them with advances, and innocent enough they may be, they are still kind of gross sexual innuendos. Although they constantly reject him, it never stops him from coming over unannounced and uninvited, which is why you frequently hear, go home, Roger, on the show. Roger does go on to eventually briefly date them on different occasions, but only twice by their choice, which should tell you everything. (laughs) He does chill out. He does chill out somewhere in the fourth season when he hits a growth spurt and gets some confidence and becomes a real friend of them in the end. In season five, Roger appears infrequently with little to no explanation, but in Marquise Houston's real life, his mother had cancer at the time. At the end of season five, after T and Tamara graduate from high school, at the twins' graduation, he say, he sings Never Say Goodbye. It's supposed to be his way to say goodbye to them while he goes off to tend to his ill mother and his goodbye to the audience. Um, he was sort of written off the show after that, especially because he was a year younger than the twins and they were going off to college. So it was kind of easy for him to leave. But in the show's universe, it is presumed that he is in high school and they're in college. And that's why he's just not there. After a long absence, he's written back into the series as he appears in the final episode as a guest at Lisa's wedding and sings a song for her. In real life, Marquise Houston started his career in 1992 when he joined the R&B boy band Immature, later to be known as IMX. He was part of the group the whole time while he was on the show, hence the singing and appearances with his bandmates. They were also on A Different World. They disbanded in 2002. All in all, Sister Sister is a very special show because it showed you that there isn't a right way to be a family. And I was very touched by the sacrifice that Lisa and Ray made for their daughters. They were also just so normal. The twins were. They wore Oshkosh Bagosh or whatever and terrible bucket hats. These girls were your friends. And probably like the least weird version of twins that I've ever encountered. And oh boy, did I really relate to every single scene that ended with one of them emotionally stomping up the stairs to a room. I know it's a fictional show, but even rewatching it really leaves you feeling better. But what I really want to know is, did you have twins in your school and were they weird? No. Well, I had twins in my school growing up, but they were fraternal boy and girl twins and they weren't weird. They were opposites and and all that. But it's funny, like over time, I've seen twins. I remember like, at, like Girl Scout camp, there was a set of twins and they were very strange, like wore the same clothes, but each with like a different color. Like one would wear like a blue sweatsuit and the other would wear a pink sweatsuit. Like that was creepy. 
Um, I, throughout my school years, well, because Burbank, once you start, once you get in the system, you know, you kind of just like end up going to school with the same people your whole life. And I went to school with three different sets of twins, identical girl twins, identical boy twins, and then fraternal twins. And uh, by far and away, the boy twins were the fucking weirdest. <laughs> and they 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 maintain that streak to this day. I mean, there were some odd Facebook encounters like in the last five to eight years between our group of friends. And we're like, keep keep on weirding it up in the free world, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, even the girl twins were like a little bit, you know, they were a little uh, it was just sort of like the more you got to know them, you're like, oh, you guys are kind of weird, but like not in an overt way. And then the fraternal twins were like very aggressively like the brother was kind of like a like a little baby ish. He was very babied and his sister was very like take charge and always like roasted her brother for like being a bitch. And that was quite funny. But yeah, he was kind of known for like just being very hysterical and upset a lot. <laughs> and she was known for just like being a hard ass, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> But yeah, those are all the twins that I went to school with. They're, you know, I'm glad that you didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm. They, they have to be a little bit weird. There's just something about it, right? Like, just look at the yeah. Olsen twins. I know, and it's they're funny. obviously witches. They're well. It's funny. I have more friends who are twins now as an adult than I did as a child. Like in my acapella group in San Francisco, we have three members that are each part of a set of twins. So. One is like uh has a twin is a guy and has a twin brother. One is a girl and has a twin sister, and the other is a guy who has a twin sister. So we have all sorts of like it's in this like sixteen person group. We ended up with people who make up twins, three people. That's wild because I yes. feel like there's if there's one thing I will consistently be surprised about are people being a part of a twin. I'm like what. Oh, I will always have that same reaction. Well, especially as an adult, because you don't meet them at the same time. As a kid, if one was there, the other was there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You're like, yes, I can see you have a twin. But when someone tells you, you're like, oh, weird. What if I run into them? (laughs) But I will say an excellent twin show now, but not excellent in like the sister, sister, like well-written, thoughtful, like great coming of age way, but like trashy, don't want to think about life everything's terrible way watch Darcy and Stacy on TLC that's a real treat that's some weird twin shit but also they are they are insane I don't really know how else to put it but in the best way possible so oh. that's that those are my those are all my twin wrecks <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll have to check that out so in the similar couple years later in the case of of my show my both of my shows today actually are shows that aired on UPN And what's funny is like you're mentioning 227, my show also has a 227 connection. A lot of those writers from the 227 wide writers room would go on to create the shows that um, are a part of today's episode. Um, So my show that I'm going to cover first is Moesha, which was on UPN from January 23rd, 1996 to May 14th, 2001. Brandy Norwood, aka Brandy, played Moesha Mitchell, who's a student attending Crenshaw High School who lives with her family in Lamert Park in Los Angeles. Angeles. For almost the whole show, each episode begins with Moesha speaking out her thoughts out loud into her diary. So she's not really writing, but she's like kind of saying what she'd be writing in this diary entry. Um, But they ended up changing this format in the final season, along with a bunch of other things, which we will get into. 
Her family includes her father, Frank, played by William Allen Young, who's a car salesman at a Saturn dealership, if ever there were a 90s statement, and her little brother, Miles, played by Marcus T. Polk. Uh, Frank has just remarried a woman named Dee, played by the amazing Cheryl Lee Ralph, who's just like a Broadway queen. She's in the original cast of Dream Girls. She's been in uh, revivals of Wicked, and like she's just amazing. And she was, I think, a part of the original cast of the musical The First Wives Club when they made it a musical. Um, she happens to be the principal at Moesha's high school, and she is now her stepmother. Moesha and her stepmom Dee clash on everything as she is used to being the one running the house and Dee is a stricter disciplinarian than her father. Moesha's closest friends are Kim Parker, played by Countess Vaughn, and Hakeem, her neighbor and friend since childhood, played by Lamont Bentley, who will later go on to be her boyfriend in later seasons. Kim has a huge crush on Hakeem for the first few seasons and wants to pursue a career in fashion. Later on the show, um, Moesha's other friend, Nishi, played by Char Jackson, who we've talked about in our Britney Spears episode, um, will later go on to be her best friend in the later seasons when Countess Vaughn leaves the show to star in the spinoff, The Parkers, which we will also get into later. Moesha's love interest and later boyfriend and later fiance for some time, Quentin Brooks, a.k.a. Q, is played by Friedro Starr, who we've talked about during our Save the Last Dance episode because he plays Malachi in the movie. Moesha and her friends regularly hang out at the den after school and on the weekends. And Moesha is friends with the Odor Andel, played by Yvette Wilson, um, who's just like this very cool character who Moesha goes to and talks about her problems like she's like, Young, she's younger than her parents, but like in another adult figure that she can trust in and confide in, which is also another trope in the 90s sitcoms. Like there's always an adult running a hangout, like a cafe or a coffee shop or like a soda shop that the kids can confide in. Um, but I digress. When the show starts, Moesha is a sophomore in high school at Crenshaw High, and later she graduates high school. And after a job with Vibe magazine for a few episodes, um, I believe in the beginning of season four, because that's what high schoolers get, um, she ends up attending California University. <laughs> the show ends with her being around 20 years old, and was the show itself was notable for having a lot of big musical guest stars. So Montel Jordan shows up in the first few seasons, as well as Escape, Soul for Real, MC Light. And later, uh, Boys to Men will show up in the final season because uh, Brandy was actually dating Wanya Morris from the group. And there's this weird episode where Brandy plays herself opposite Brandy as Moesha. Like Moesha gets to meet Brandy. I remember that episode. Which that I episode forgot about. The episode is wild. But this is around the time, mind you, that like over time, Brandy and her family, her momager, Susan Norwood, will have more control over the show. And this will come up in the tensions surrounding behind the scenes. Um, other big guest star included, of course, Kobe Bryant, who I was texting you about earlier because I'd forgotten that uh, one Kobe Bryant was on the show because he played the star basketball player at Crenshaw High for an episode, and two, that they had dated and what were prom dates, um, which I had completely forgotten that Brandy and Kobe Bryant had gone to the prom together. But they, I think, along with Danielle Fischel and um, I believe Lance Bass, top the... <laughs> list of famous couple famous people who went to prom together um i think those are probably the best ones i can think of um the show had a lot of very special episodes which i think a lot of these sitcoms have um sister sister certainly had a few but moesha did 
quite a share of them. And I think really dove into that edge towards the end of the series run. Um, They had episodes that dealt with racism, drug use, teen pregnancy, and other topics that are often addressed on sitcoms with teens, but don't always do a great job. I think that Moesha is really great in the sense of it is a 90s sitcom. You're going to have the laugh track. You're going to have the regular tropes associated with 90s sitcoms. But it deals with a lot of those topics in a more realistic way than a lot of those other shows did. Um, I'm looking at you, Jesse Spano, Caffeine Pill, Freak Out, and Save the Last. Um, oh my God, Save by the Bell. Save the Last say, Dance before the Bell. <laughs> the, truly, the the collaboration we don't need or deserve. Um, one of the more notable plot lines included the appearance of the character Dorian Long, played by Rand. Brandy's real-life brother, Ray J. Dorian appears at the beginning of season five as Moesha's cousin, who's run away from his family's home in Oakland and comes to live with Moesha's family. Later, it's revealed in the season five episode, Secrets and Lies. Um, Moesha learns that Dorian, who she thought was her dad's nephew and her cousin, is in fact her half-brother because her dad had an affair while he was married to Moesha's mother before she died. And... um. It, and and out came Dorian. And so this plot line was part of the show taking this direction from being comedic while still having some serious moments to some really dramatic multi-arc twists that a lot of people weren't fans of. So much show, so that Cheryl Lee Ralph, who had played D, ended up no longer uh, wanting to be a regular on the show after season five and was only a recurring. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, player in season six because she wasn't a fan of that plot line. So in terms of production history, the show is created by Ralph Farquhar, Sarah Finney Johnson, and Vita Spears. And this is the same team that would go on to create the Parkers, the spinoff we talked about earlier. Prior to Moesha, Ralph Farquhar was best known for creating the short-lived TV show South Central and had also written for Happy Days, Fame, and Married with Children. He was also an EP on The Sinbad Show, The Proud Family, and Real Husbands of Hollywood, and was the screenwriter of the 1985 film Crush Groove starring Run DMC. Finney, Johnson, and Spears are actually writing partners and had written on The Jeffersons, 227, and The Parenthood, and had, sev- and had served as writers and story editors on The Facts of Life and Family Matters, where they also later served as producers. They will leave the um, Family Matters in 1996 to join Ralph Farquhar to create Moesha. The writer's room also included Mara Brock Akil, who will go on to create Girlfriends and its spinoff, The Game. 
Prior to Moesha, Brandy had starred in the short-lived APC sitcom Thea, playing the daughter of comedian Thea Vidal. It was it was canceled after one season, and over time, Brandy was actually happy about this because she really just wanted to focus on her recording career. Uh, she would eventually release her self-titled debut album, Brandy, which would go on to sell over 4 million copies and have several nominations and awards, including two Grammy nods, it's four Soul Train Music Awards, two Billboard Awards, and the New York Children's Choice Award, which was one I had never heard of and wonder if it's a predecessor to Nickelodeon's Kid Choice Awards. I don't know. It was this role, though, on Thea that would get her cast as Moesha, which originally aired as a pilot for CBS's 1995 to 1996 television season, but was rejected by the network. It will then get picked up by UPN, which aired it as a mid-season replacement, but eventually would come become the biggest success in the history of UPN with just crazy ratings for most of its uh, first few seasons. When the spinoff The Parkers was created, Sarafini Johnson left Moesha to become showrunner of the spinoff while Vita Spears would stay on as showrunner of Moesha. Vita Spears would go on to join Finney Johnson on the Parkers, however, because she was fired from Moesha due to an alleged power struggle between Brandy and her momager, Susan Norwood. There's a lot of alleged rumors on the production history behind Moesha, where Brandy was responsible for Countess Vaughn leaving Moesha and going to do the Parkers, while also getting Vita Spears fired. Um, Brandy had apparently wanted to be an executive producer and wanted the credit. Vita Spears was against this. And then Brandy and her mom also wanted the show to have a more dramatic turn, hence the Ray J storyline, which Vita Spears was also against. Ultimately, though, the show would last for six seasons with the season finale, uh, serving as the series finale. By the sixth season, ratings for Moesha dropped and UPN opted to not renew or air the series for a seventh season. As a result, the show ends on a wildly unresolved cliffhanger with Moesha's little brother Miles being kidnapped by a rival of Dorian's, Moesha considering moving in with Hakeem, and a positive pregnancy test being found in the trash at Moesha's dorm room um, and not knowing who the pregnancy test belongs to. So it ends on all sorts of cliffhangers. And there had been rumors via Entertainment Weekly that some of those unresolved plot points were going to be resolved on the Parkers. But those plans never came through and the storylines were ultimately never resolved. But it's kind of funny because then this whole uh, thing and the the all the controversy surrounding Moesha getting canceled abruptly is actually spoofed on the Proud Family, which is funny because um, later Ralph Farquhar would be a producer on the Proud Family. But there's an episode where Penny is disappointed because her favorite show, Aisha, gets abruptly canceled and she starts a campaign to get the show back on the air. <laughs> In terms of what made the show iconic, other than Brandy just being Brandy, great musical guests, just overall great show. The fashion, I think, is a big part of Moesha. The show had style. I think one of the things I remember the most from seeing Moesha as a kid was Brandy's style, which had, she had her iconic braids, she had iconic outfits. And in fact, Moesha's co-creator, Sarah Fitty Johnson, was interviewed by Vice's, one of Vice's blogs called Garage, she said that the show's vision was of a cool young black girl who was brave and creative in her life and that carried over in her style. The idea that a black girl's life experiences would be told from her perspective was unique in 1996 and created space for later sitcoms that centered their young black female protagonist styles. 
Yolanda Brady, who is the show's costume designer, ensured that a lot of Black brands were featured on the show. So you see FUBU, you see Mecca, you see Anichi, you see Tony Shellman, and you see really at the time, lesser known designers. Like I didn't realize Christian Louboutin, for example, had only been around since 1991, but she was wearing Louboutins on the show before they ever became famous for, you know, Carrie Bradshaw wearing them on Sex in the City. Um, so Yolanda Brady, even though this article rightly points out, she's not a household name like Patricia, Patricia Field when it comes to s- styling and costume designing for a show, but she should be because I mean, to this day, I'm still thinking about how much I love the outfits that Brandy wore. Later on in the show, there were, like I said earlier, a lot of backstage drama. Following the dispute with Brandy and her momager, Sonia Norwood, Vita Spears was dismissed from Moesha in 2001 and would go on to join uh, the Parkers with Ralph Farquhar and Sarah Finney Johnson. Like I said earlier, the finale left a bunch of plot points unresolved. Um, And ultimately, the show's last few seasons with these dramatic turns at one point, you know, there's the infidelity. She finds out her dad's been had was cheating on her mom and fathered a child. There's like all this stuff that happens that ultimately just leaves the show going from being kind of a lighthearted, fun comedy with some serious moments to just kind of dramatic. Uh, But yeah, ultimately, you know, the show started dropping in ratings and as a result, it did end after season six. Uh, but the legacy behind this show, I think, is really not so much in the writers, uh, the creators of the show who actually haven't done very much since Moesha and the Parkers. Like, um, you look at Vita Spears, um, her IMDb page, she hasn't done anything since the Parkers. Ralph Farquhar has produced a few shows and specials. So is Sarah Finney Johnson. But appa- But really, after the Parkers and Moesha, that's kind of where it ends for them for the most part. But really, the writer's room here is the legacy where we have Mara Brock-Akeel, who would go on to create Girlfriends and the game. Sorry. (laughs) We'll go on to create Girlfriends and the game. Um, Sadly, since the show aired, two of the main cast members have passed away. So Yvette Wilson, who played Andel, died of cervical cancer in 2012. And Lamont Bentley, who played Hakeem, passed away in a car accident in 2005. Um, Since 2018- I know. It's like, it's very sad these main cast members passed away. Um, And it sounds like there was a lot of drama towards the end where Brandy would say a lot of things about Countess Vaughn in interviews. And Countess Vaughn said a a few things here and there, but it was really mostly Brandy. Like, Brandy did not. (laughs) And and part of it, I think, is just like the optics of like, you know, in the late 90s, we just, I feel like women were pitted against other women. And there's just like, there's a lot of, you know, I think there's racism tied to that as well. But I feel like, yeah, it is unfortunate that behind the scenes, it looked like there wasn't this great camaraderie, especially towards the end of the series. But it seems like people have since reconciled. And since 2018, there have been rumors of a reboot. Um, It sounds like Countess Countess Vaughn and Brandy have reconciled. And especially given the show's recent resurgence in popularity, now that it's on Netflix, there have been additional reports that it might happen with Brandy saying, quote, it's highly likely. Um, That's really what I have to say about Moesha. I think the show just, you know, even now in 2020, like you look at the fashion and it's just so apparent how much it impacts the what the fashion that's happening today. As I watch TikTok every once in a while to feel a little better about myself, I can't help but look at what the teens are wearing. That is and not say, where you. That is not where you go to feel better about yourself. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but to laugh once in a while, I guess. You're right. You're right. You're right. Because teenagers these days look fantastic. Like, there is no awkward face. TikTok has led me to believe that teenagers just don't have awkward faces anymore. They just come out looking amazing and like adults who can do amazing dances. Like, I, I don't know what happened to teenagers, but yeah. Um, but ultimately, this show, like I said, has just been a great rewatch for me. I just get a kick out of the 90s sitcoms. I really enjoyed this. What do, What about you and, and well, Moesha? Oh, I loved Moesha. I watched every episode. There's one episode where... I, that show taught me not to back up at every single parking lot because there's one episode where she backs up and fucks up her tires when she goes over the spikes and like ruins her car. And I was like, duly noted. And I always think about that episode of Moesha whenever I see that in a parking structure. <laughs> but I loved, I mean, I was a big Brandy fan me as too. A, like as a kid, like throughout, I mean, she was just sort of like everywhere. Right. And she yeah. had kind of a, girl next door very approachable feel to her i mean like she just seemed conceivably like one of your friends yeah and i mean it's come to light now that she did that versus with monica that her and monica like it's hard to ascertain whether or not their feud was real or not but monica has alluded to the fact that she has like almost come to blows with brandy because i think at the time she might have been like slightly insufferable obviously i don't know anything I'm purely speculating and I mean it back then, not now, but like, you know, she was, she was the biggest thing for a lot, for a long time and had like was everywhere. So I could see it conceivably happening. It, so there's a bit of being a, like a dick. Catherine. Yeah. Her being a low key dick to Countess Vaughn yeah. is not very surprising. Yes. Catherine Heigl vibes for sure. Yes, and I'm all for it. i saying. Especially because of the momager. Yeah. I just find it to be interesting that they were, I mean, obviously different times, et cetera, et cetera. But they managed to keep that pretty under wraps. But she also had ties to Mouse House. And they, you know, they'll squash a a negative story about you if they have to. Oh, for sure. I'm sure. Because I I mean, kind of vaguely recall there being like some issues with her mom, but not, I mean, did not know it was that to that extent of like getting people fired and stuff kind of seems like not nice (laughs) like more so than i would have anticipated right so uh, or driving people to want to quit so i'm sort of surprised by that but that doesn't really take away my enjoyment from the show i haven't been able to i didn't revisit it while doing research for this episode obviously because i was too busy watching sister sister and the parkers and i feel like i should go back and rewatch moesha uh, because i do i mean I, i feel like the Parker's works. It's whatever Joey wanted to be, you know, it's like they're, they were the comic relief on Moesha a lot of the times. Yes. And especially when it started to get like dark and dramatic, like they really leaned on them quite heavily. And so it's fun to see the side characters actually get a successful spinoff series because it doesn't always happen. Sometimes you get, you get a Joey or you get what's another bad side character spinoff show. I mean, sometimes I you get a better call Saul too. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, can't you think get of a, a bad one off the Better Call Saul or Frasier. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of bad ones, though. Uh, oh, you know what, though? They did try to make one out of Gilmore Girls that didn't end up getting pulled into production, but it was like Jess was essentially set up to have his own show in California where he no. like, lives with his dad. And like the no. season two or season three finale is like sets you up for it. And like Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks was going to be on it. And like, it ultimately didn't get picked up, but that, yeah, that's like, 
I'm not, I can't think of a good bad Ca- spinoff right now. Cautionary tale, but mostly we'll just, we'll, we'll liken it to Joey. But the Parkers, you know, just like how Sister Sister gave me false expectations about inevitably bumping into my long lost twins, the Parkers gave me heightened expectations of what attending Santa Monica College, one of my alt- one of my alma maters would be like. I'll tell you one thing that happens in the pilot that is not accurate to real life at SMC, sororities. We did not have those. But there's a later episode where Kim has to pay $500 for books. That is factual. That that happens a lot. <laughs> so, but I cannot account and cannot abide by this sorority storyline that happens in the pilot. But generally speaking, the Parkers premiered on UPN August 30th of 1999 and ran for five seasons when it ended May 10th of 2004 after 110 episodes. Starred Monique and Countess Vaughn as the mother-daughter duo of Nikki and Kim Parker. The Parkers is a spinoff of Moesha and centered around Kim and Nikki both attending Santa Monica College. So the Parkers was created by three Moesha writers. You've talked about them, so I won't really blow. I will just name them and not really get into much more. Ralph Farquhar, Sarah Finney Johnson, and Vita Spears. The show's premise is Nikki Parker was forced to drop out of high school when she discovered she was pregnant with her daughter, Kim. When Kim gets to adulthood, Nikki decides to go back to school and graduates alongside Kim. Nikki later reveals that she also wants to attend Santa Monica College, too, alongside Kim, and she's mortified to hear that her mom wants to go to college with her, but eventually she accepts it. Nikki and Kim's mother-daughter relationship evolves as roommates and as students. Nikki adjusts to the fact that her daughter is old enough to live on her own and take care of herself, while Kim realizes that Nikki has more going for her than just being her mom. It's kind of a perfect single parent show, especially when it comes to the mother-daughter dynamics, which, like we had talked about, a lot of these shows hold up um, even better than I remember, to be honest. I think because they did the smart thing of using themes that are fairly common and then just ascribing them to these characters— so I feel like that's why it holds up and they don't try to do anything that's too crazy top. I mean, you know, there's topical stuff, but nothing that really makes the show even feel dated apart from the laugh track and the very clear set. I mean, like the bookstore, although they did go, did do a good job with the SMC bookstore, like very, very close to what it actually kind of looks like, except for the fact that you can tell it's not 3D. Like you can tell it's like a stage situation and same yeah. with the cafeteria, but. Yeah, the library. I was like, yeah, that actually kind of looks like our library. And that actually kind of looks like our bookstore. Uh, The opening theme song, We Are the Parkers, is performed by Countess Vaughn. And in my revisitation notes, as previously stated, there is no rush week at SMC. Like you had mentioned at the top of the podcast, I really, you know, more than Sister Sister, like a lot of laughs per minute. It's a really, really funny show. And I feel like it's very tight. And I think because... It's like more, I would say, leans more on like PG-13, like adultish humor versus like Sister Sister, especially the early days of it being on ABC was a little bit more like wholesome problems, but also was like skewed to a slightly different demographic. Like they were, you know, they were in, I'm sorry, middle school, high school versus the Parkers where they're like in college and the mom is an adult, you know, which I thought was kind of an interesting shift, but it was very funny. But the fat phobia of this specific time period is extremely present. Like everybody... Every romantic, well, the professor that Monique has an interest in reacts to her as if, I don't know, it's just like, it's so insulting to be like, yes, you know, fat people are like repulsive and she's like, a, she's like coming on so strong. It's, it's disgusting. Like he's so grossed out and like freaked out by it as if she probably, she couldn't get some if she just, I don't know, 
found somebody that wasn't him, that wasn't a fucking creep. Anyway, I found that to be just kind of shocking every time it happened. Cause I'm like, dude, just lighten up. Stop being such a bitch. Um, and there's a Kenya Moore appearance at a later episode where she and Monique get into it. And I, oh, I didn't write it down, but she has a line in it that sounds like it could be one, like one of her Real Housewives intro taglines. I will look for it and add it in somewhere later. <laughs> so there isn't like a ton to be said about the Parkers. It was a spinoff. It was on UPN. It was very good for Countess Vaughn and for Monique. Um, we're going to get into their characters and how they got here. Countess Vaughn, who plays Kimberly Ann Kim Parker, is a naive college student and Nikki's daughter. Although she can be shallow, Kim has a big heart and is very close to her mom. Kim is also a lead singer in the group called Freestyle Unity, which also includes Stevie, Jenna Vaughn Oy, her sidekick and best friend on the show. Um, at the end of the show, she fails out of Santa Monica College, but still becomes as a successful fashion designer. In real life, Countess Vaughn one star surge at nine years old, and she's saying, I'll be there. Following that, she was cast on 227 for its fourth season, but left the following season after cruel and inappropriate comments made by an adult cast member, which, like, what the fuck? What? Who, like, talks shit to a little kid? So weird. She goes on to guest star on Hanging with Mr. Cooper and releases her first album. Her cover of a James Brown song lands her on the Billboard R&B hip-hop chart, but her real breakthrough comes as Kim Parker on Moesha, where she co-starred from 1996 to 1999. Monique plays Nicole Ann Nikki Parker, a confident single mother who embraces college life to the fullest, despite people treating the age of 38 as if it's a death sentence. She isn't even on The Bachelorette, and people are acting like, oh my god, you're so old. But I also like that Monique don't take no shit whatsoever. Uh, she is in love with Professor Olivy, and he does not return the feelings, but in the series finale, she wins him over after five years of courting him, and they marry. In real life, prior to Moesha, Monique made her debut in the movie Three Strikes, which starred local legend E-40, D David Allen Greer, George Wallace, Megan Good, and Dean Norris, speaking of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Wow. And what started out as a dare to try stand-up comedy by her brother led to Monique appearing on Showtime at the Apollo, Russell Simmons' deaf, deaf comedy jam, and Thank God You're Here. Also, a feud with Netflix, but we don't need to get into that. Jenna Von Oy please, plays Stevie Allison Van Lowe, Kim's best friend and sarcastic, smart college student. She was also a member of the music group Freestyle Unity, and when she graduates from Santa Monica College, she goes to UCLA, which is a very common track for a lot of people who go to SMC because they have, it's sort of like an SMC to UCLA pipeline, for lack of a better term. She goes into business with Kim at the end as well. In real life, Jenna is best known for playing another famous sidekick, Six, on Blossom. When the show ended in 95, she went to USC but dropped out two years later, and by 99, she was back to acting when she landed the role as Stevie. And while she was on The Parkers, she was also the voice of Trinket on Pepper Ann, which I did not know. Huh. And I loved Pepper Ann. Me too. But that's it for The Parkers. I mean, I when I said it was thin, I really meant it. The, it it was a delightful show about a single mom who goes back to college at the same time as her daughter. And it's even funnier than I remembered. Monique and Countess Vaughn have great comedic timing together and great chemistry. And they're very funny. And all of the cast is great. And it's fun to see a community college portrayed in like a positive light instead of it being something that you should be ashamed of doing. So did you ever watch The Parkers when it was on? I don't think so. Yeah, I watched Moesha for sure, but I never watched the Parkers. But I do want to watch it now because I do remember how much I love Countess Vaughn. So I would love to watch it now that we've talked about it. Right. When I turned it on, I was like, God, 
I forgot how much I like Countess Vaughn. She's so funny. What is she doing? And she's great. She basically, yeah, she basically had kids and kind of retired to take care of her kids. So she Rick Moranis herself. Who just got sucker punched, apparently. Did you hear yeah. about this? Yeah. Oh my God. Of course I did. I know. To add to the doom and gloom of everything, Rick Moranis got fucking punched in the face A by some kind asshole. Canadian so. does not deserve this. He gave uh, us Honey, I Frank the Kids, and you gave him a punch in the face? What is wrong with you? How dare you, world? So my show that I'm covering or the last show that we're covering is Girlfriends, which I had a lot of fun watching. I watched a few episodes of when it was on the air, but uh, started rewatching kind of full episodes back to back and really, really enjoyed it. It is a show that premiered on September 11th, 2000. So no 9-11 connection thank, here. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, it's just been a rough season. Every single episode, we get to a point where 9-11 comes up. But it I think this on- is the first episode all season where we haven't mentioned 9-11 yet. No. I don't think I we're going to. Mentioned- the show. We're almost, I don't think so. We're almost we, done. And we haven't clear. talked about it. This is the first episode. We were on a fucking roll. Not a good one, but we were on one. Huh. <laughs> Yay, us. Okay, Carrie, Yay, I'm not us. talking about 9-11. <laughs> It aired on UPN and later on UPN's successor network, The CW, before being canceled in 2008. The show was created and produced by Mara Brock Akil, who had been a writer on Moesha, and also produced by Regina Y. Hicks, who you mentioned earlier, who was on a producer and Sister Sister, and who has gone on to make an incredible career as a producer on Sherry, Marlin, Uncle Buck, which is a TV adaptation of the movie, The Mayor, Insecure, and The L World, The L Word, Generation Q. The last producer, which I want to call out here for just a little bit, is Kelsey fucking Grammer. Yes, Fraser Crane was a producer on Girlfriends. Okay, <clears throat> so according to Mara Brock Akil, Kelsey Grammer was super influential in getting Girlfriends to get the green light to air. She had sold Girlfriends to UPN, but couldn't find a studio to finance it. Basically, at the time, UPN was still up in the air as a network, um, and so the deal happened backwards for the show. She basically got the okay for a network but didn't have a studio or production company. She ran into the issue, and that's this is still a problem today, of studios being reluctant to finance shows with an all-black cast, let alone a predominantly female black cast. Kelsey Grammer and his production company, GrammarNet Productions, backed it, and then CBS decided to back it. But that's how the show was able to make it on the air. So, yes, the producers on this show <laughs> include Kelsey Grammer. Ultimately, Brock Akil was inspired by Living Single, which, let's be honest, deserves the ultimate 90s sitcom accolades that Friends just gets, despite not aging well whatsoever. I I love Living Single. I really wish it got more love. It, she was also inspired by one of my personal favorite 80s sitcoms, Designing Women, which I realized as I was doing my research, and there's an interviewer pointed it out in an interview with her. Both of those shows, Pilots, Girlfriends, and Designing Women, deal with one main character dating a guy that another main character used to be with. But I love Designing Women. That's been one of the ones that is harder to find. I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now, but I I really I don't think so either. I haven't seen it. I think you have to – I think you can get it on iTunes, but it's not like on a Prime or anything, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, So in terms of casting, the show starred Tracy Ellis Ross as Joan Clayton, a lawyer who is like the unofficial den mother of her group of girlfriends, hence the name of the show. The show is mostly told from her point of view with moments throughout the show where you can see a close-up of her face that appears where she speaks her internal monologue. 
Joan frequently deals with relationship problems, but will later settle down with Aaron Waters, a vet and teacher she meets while on a trip to New Orleans, building homes after Hurricane Katrina. Joan is originally from Fresno and grew up with Tony, played by Jill Marie Jones. She and Joan, Tony and Joan went to UCLA together, and Tony is a real estate agent who eventually opens her own brokerage firm. She's first seen as selfish and the materialistic one of the friends, but we later learn about her as the series progresses and why she is the way she is. Tony will eventually marry and have a kid with and separate from Todd Garrett. There's a lot of twists and turns on the plots throughout the seasons, but they will reconcile towards the end of the show. Um, Eventually, she and Joan have a falling out at the end of season six after many issues in their friendship around jealousy. And later, the final straw being when Joan misses a custody hearing that Tony expected her to attend as for her kid. And actually, in real life, they had written um, out this character. And so at the time, you know, they wanted to know if Jill Marie Jones wanted to continue. And she decided to she would leave the show after season six and really pursue uh, more of a movie acting career. The other two girlfriends are Tony and Joan's third roommate from UCLA, Lynn, played by Persia White, who is the free hippy dippy one of the group and who's the most sexually adventurous. She lives in Joan's house while working odd jobs here and there. And eventually Joan makes her leave the house and Lynn will later become a musician and get signed to a label. Lynn was adopted by a white family um, and didn't really embrace her black heritage until college. And she later decides to learn more about her biological family as the series progresses. Maya Wilkes, the final girlfriend, is played by Golden Brooks. She is Jones. She starts out as Jones' assistant at the law firm and is one the one friend of the girlfriends who didn't go to school with Joan. Maya is finishing her college degree because she had a kid when she was 16 and is married to her high school sweetheart, Darnell, and frequently has spats with Tony, with Maya making comments about Tony's snobbiness and Tony making comments about Maya's background. Maya will eventually have a career as a self-help author, and though she and Darnell get divorced and stay separated for some time after she has an emotional affair, they will eventually get back together. Um, The final season, they suffer a miscarriage and are considering adoption towards the end of the show, which, much like Moesha, ends very abruptly, and we'll get into that later. Outside of the girlfriends, there's William, played by Reggie Hayes, who's a senior partner at Jones Law Firm and the group's closest friend. He and Joan have kind of a will they or won't they energy at times. And eventually in the show, they'll date for a few months, but it's clearly not meant to be. And I appreciate this for about this show that like they didn't have to go with this final, you know, episode of they finally get together. They explored this relationship, but it was ultimately not meant to be. Before that happens, though, when Joan is in a relationship and William is afraid that Joan will get married before him, he elopes with Lynn, one of the girlfriends, but quickly realizes he's not in love and they split. He and Joan co-own a restaurant called The J Spot, and he later becomes a sperm donor for his sister Linda and her partner. Eventually, William will marry Monica, played by Keisha Sharp, who the friends initially disapprove of because she can be harsh, but over time, the group gets to befriend her. He expresses doubts by he, I mean, William uh, expresses doubts around their marriage on their wedding day. And eventually they separate, but will later get back together and have a kid. The final main character to kind of round out, round out the group of, of regulars is Maya's husband, Darnell, first played by Flex Alexander in season one and later Khalil Khan for the rest of the series. But don't worry, this wasn't an Aunt Viv situation. Flex left the show to star in and create the sitcom one on one. That is there's a lot of things that happen throughout the show, but I you know, don't want to deep dive too much into the plot. Um, I want to point out that we talked about earlier, there is a spinoff of um, Girlfriends, the game. 
So there's a 2006 episode of Girlfriends titled The Game, which featured guest star Tia Mowry, connection to Sister Sister, as Joan's cousin, Melanie Barrett, or sorry, Melanie Barnett, an aspiring medical student who wants to give up her future to follow her professional athlete boyfriend to San Diego, where he'll be playing on a team over there. That episode was then the launching point for the game, which would be the spinoff series, which centered around Melanie deciding to put her medical career plans on hold for the rising success of her boyfriend and settle for attending a lesser medical school so she could be near him. The show, also created by Mara Brock Keel, aired from C- on the CW from October 2006 to May 2009 and would later get picked up by BET where it aired from 2010 to 2015. Ultimately, the show Girlfriends was on the air for eight seasons and aired for the first six seasons on UPN. After UPN and the WB merged to form the CW, the show aired its final two seasons on the new network. When the CW moved its show from Monday nights to Sunday nights, the ratings plummeted and eventually they moved it back to Monday nights, but the ratings had gone down quite a bit. Reruns were initially aired on weeknights on UPN and later um, on We Network and My Network. Um, But ultimately, this show got majorly screwed over by network mergers and the Writers Guild strike. So the final two episodes of season eight, which would later end up being the final episodes ever, were recorded before the 2007 to 2008 Writers Guild of America strike. They aired back to back on Monday, February 11th at 9 p.m. However, this was not a two part episode. These were just kind of really generic episodes. The time slot was planned to be moved to Sundays due to the writer's strike and the return of the CW's reality show programming. So you can blame Beauty and the Geek and Farmer Wants a Wife for this. On February 13th, 2008, there was a girl I went to high school with who was on Beauty and the Geek. I don't remember her name, but I remember when this happened, there was a lot of texting about it. On February 13th, 2008, it was announced by the CW um, that a proper series finale would not be done because it would be too expensive, which confirmed the show's cancellation. They were going to air kind of a retrospective episode, um, but the character storylines would receive no resolutions as uh, the the finale did not come to pass. The network offered the actors only half of their usual episodic salary to take part, and the actors, understandably so, collectively turned them down. While there aren't any real cliffhanger endings like Moesha, it is kind of a generic episode to end on. Like, there's nothing really uh, that happens that concludes anything. Um, This show deserved a far better ending, but luckily, the world got a girlfriend's reunion last year when the cast guest starred on Blackish playing what else? Tracy Ellis Ross's girlfriends. Um, They play their college friends. And that's all I really have about girlfriends. It is a fun show, and I think I'm going to continue watching it because it made me really happy. I, too, was a living single fan and then a girlfriends fan, but I never finished it. But I am excited to get back and do a little rewatch because these sitcoms are saving my brain from overheating and overthinking. Any parting thoughts about Sister Sister, Moesha, The Parkers, or Girlfriends? Just thinking like how at the time there was already a huge problem with diversity on TV and how we're still having these conversations 20 years later, 25 years later in some cases. In in some ways, I'm like, wow, there was better representation on major network television yeah. 15, 20 years ago than there is now. And I don't understand how we can't get back to this place and then do and surpass it. I don't understand, especially with the amount of places that you can put shit. But I, I don't know. I have I 
sadly always vaguely optimistic that things are going to change and things have to get better or are bound to get better, especially since there are just so many creative people who want it to happen. So I crossing my fingers that it'll get more diverse, which is just like a really nice way of saying like shows about people who aren't white. (laughs) So (laughs) I hope that more of those show up. I think it's promising. And maybe, you know, now that they have as nebulous as they may be, Netflix numbers to back up the interest and demand for shows like this, it'll inspire some entrepreneurial producer or exec who only sees dollar signs to see the more value in these dollar signs and fucking do something. Agreed. All right. Thank you so much for listening to an episode of Old Millennials. If you liked what you heard, it'd be really great if you could leave us a review or rate us on iTunes or just tell someone else to listen to this. We are streaming everywhere that you can listen to a podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, Google, all of them. And you can follow us on socials. We are at Facebook or we are at The Old Millennials Pod on Facebook and Instagram. And we also have a blog on Medium where you can read even more thoughts and deep dives on pop culture. We're Old Millennials Pod on Medium. Emily is about to put up a long gestating Baja Men deep dive. And in the following week, we'll have a companion piece to our girl group episode that we put up a few weeks ago. Who knows? I don't, I couldn't tell you how many weeks, but like weeks, some weeks ago. (laughs) And if you want to follow us on Twitter, me and Emily, you can follow us individually. I am at Marg, she wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Vision. And please vote and vote early if you can. And wherever you are, it is too late to drop it off in the mail. So make sure you either walk it to a polling station or put it in a ballot box so you can ensure that your voice is heard unless you're voting for Trump. And then you got to do that. Like, actually, it's next year. QAnon told me it's actually happening next year. So like you don't you wait and everybody else remember to vote next Tuesday because we record this podcast on a Tuesday. So a week from today, going to be a very anxious recording session but that's enough about that go go and cleanse your palate watch some netflix because that's what we're gonna go do goodbye selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.